Escape Pod 164. June 26, 2008. Today's story The Right Kind of Town by Christian Claver. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. We have another genre first for Escape Pod this week, a space western. With my brown coat sensibilities, this excites me quite a bit. So, we present The Right Kind of Town by Christian Claver. Mr. Claver lives in Michigan and has had numerous short story publications since 1980. He has a lot of fiction on his site, christianclaver.com, including more stories set in the Nightwalker universe of this piece, and a few full-length novels, such as Johnny Bass vs. the Kung Fu Dragon Cult, an action romance set in a mythic version of Detroit. He's also the editor of The Nautilus Engine, a quarterly speculative fiction webzine. We'll have a link to that in the notes. The story is read for us by my dear friend Cunning Minx of the Polyamory Weekly Podcast. Minx is the resource in the potosphere for relationships of all sorts of geometries and the communication that's needed to make them work. You can find her at polyweekly.com, and if you want to catch up fast, we're selling a CD collection of some of her best episodes at poddisc.com. I think with this story narration, it's time to make public one of Minx's deeper, darker secrets. And I hope someday she'll forgive me for revealing this to you. She's from Texas. Without further ado, I can see by your outfit that it's story time. The Right Kind of Town by Christian Claver. You can always tell what kind of town you're in by how they treat a corpse in the street. I've been watching Soul lying in the dust for nearly an hour now, and I knew what that said about Dusty River. Of course, to be fair to the townsfolk, he wasn't really a corpse at first. The twitching stopped quickly, though, and the pool of blood spread and dried in the sun and dust. He qualified now. Three rough-looking miners stepped out of the saloon, two humans and a man, Chew. They glanced with mild interest, but Soul was already picked clean. The Manchu fiddled briefly with the mustache-like fleshy bits that gave his race their human name and leaned over to tear a strip of dirty cloth off Saul's ragged shirt. He used the piece to clean out the floppy ears of his Giselle horse and wiped some extra grime off the horns before tossing the dripping scrap back into Saul's chest. They rode off, taking the northern road out of town that pointed at the dirty gleam of the seven-story way station, probably heading for the Nightwalker ship in orbit. They'd trade their week's worth of dust for a night of risk-a-tables, lab whiskey, and pleasure slaves and be back mining by morning. In the civilized places closer to hegemony space, you don't see many bodies in the street in the first place. When you do, they're always swarmed with sheriffs, marshals, constables, morticians, and the like. Then the body gets moved fast so as not to ruffle the civilized folk. The rest happens behind closed doors. Sometimes they wouldn't get the body up fast enough, and you'd have time for people carrying on, women shrieking, youngins gawking, babies crying, and men standing helpless nearby, not knowing what should be done before the authorities come. Some towns don't ever get bodies in the street. The only deaths are from sickness or accidents or old age. But I don't tend to get to those towns so much, since they frown on my whoring profession. The towns I work in, everyone carries a gun. Being a pretty woman in my line of work... I carry two. Some towns treat the dead with respect, no matter how they got to being dead. Not Dusty River, though. 
In Dusty River, they stripped Saul's body right after he was shot and well before he's done bleeding. The rifle and boots went to the gunfighter, but then the scavengers took anything left of value. Then they left the discards, the nearly naked Saul included, to lie in the street. Being an alien, Uchebi, Saul's body was probably of more interest to the local government than the actual murder. Eventually, they'd send someone to collect it. I sat in the upper balcony of the Big Dipper Motel, drinking coffee under the double glare of Everlasting's twin fireballs. They looked like two egg sinners in the flaming pink swath of sky, and it made me wish for some breakfast to go with my coffee. It was too hot outside for most folk, but it didn't bother me so much. And I liked the open space better than being stuffed inside all the time. The canopy shaded me some, and I didn't mind fishing the occasional grit of sand out of my coffee. I was barefoot, and my little white dress was short, light, and thin. Besides, I was waiting for someone, and I wanted to talk to him here rather than inside. The sun's flush on my face and the warm smell of something like cinnamon that came off the sands of the desert comforted me. It was like being in my mother's kitchen while she baked dessert. Again, made me want something more than coffee for breakfast. That'd have to wait. I could hear voices down in the hotel restaurant. Even from here, I could pick out Freeman's smooth and deep rumble. He'd be up shortly. He wouldn't rush, though. He never did. That was the first thing I'd noticed about him last month, when I first laid eyes on him, that he never rushed. Or, rather, the second thing. The absolutely first thing I noticed was that he was gorgeous. He was tall and rangy with the build of someone who worked outdoors all day. His hands looked like workmen's hands. But his skin was pale and his clothes too fine. They marked him as a wealthy man. A dark chocolate-colored suit of a very soft and light material, possibly durian silk, with ivory buttons and a pearl-colored shirt. He'd smiled at me when he saw me, but stopped and talked to a few friends as he made his way over to me at the bar. No rush. I was in very demure clothes. Dark pants, a black suit coat, duster, and wide-brimmed hat. I wasn't working, and I wasn't expecting any attention. Word was a woman I knew had died accidentally on the ship late last night. She's just an acquaintance, but she did the same work, and it started about the same time. It made me feel melancholy. Excuse me, ma'am. He was suddenly at my table, holding his hat in his hands in a deferential manner. I looked up, but didn't say anything. I'd like to talk a little business, if that's all right. I slid an info chip out of my suit pocket. I'm not working tonight. My contact information's here. I'd rather make any arrangements over secure communication. That's the problem, ma'am. Let me explain, please. My name's Mort Freeman. I'd like to make arrangements for a couple of friends of mine, and one of the wives works at the ship control tower. She monitors all sorts of transmissions. I didn't usually bend my rules, but his approach was sincere, polite, and respectful. I don't always get a lot of that, and his smile caused a whirling in my stomach. I get even less of that. He was charming throughout the arrangements, which were quickly handled. I'd see his friends tomorrow night, and the following in turn. "'Damn!' a voice hollered. "'It's that high-class whore!' A drunken miner stumbled over, pointing at me. I don't think he meant to be insulting. His young face looked like someone who just found a million dollars in the sugar jar. Freeman was up and interposed himself. Lady's not working tonight, Scooter. Aw, oh, hell, Mr. Freeman, tonight's the only night I got. Don't make me shoot someone to get some tonight. He suddenly had a gun in his hand. 
He pushed right past and pointed the gun at me. Don't worry, little lady, I won't hurt you much. Freeman let him slide past, then seized the wrist with the gun in it, twisting it behind Scooter's back until something cracked and the man yelped. Scooter stumbled, and Freeman got his other hand on the back of the man's neck and put all his weight behind it. Scooter's head bounced off the table, then Scooter and Gun both tumbled harmlessly to the floor. "'Sorry about that, ma'am,' Freeman said to me calmly. "'Maybe I could buy you a drink by way of apology.' "'Friend of yours, Freeman?' I said. "'Not exactly, but a fellow I know.' I found out later that Scooter worked for Freeman, that lots of people in town work for Freeman. I let Freeman buy me a drink that night. Later, I let Freeman do a lot more. Damn, Kate, Freeman's deep and creamy voice said behind me. Anyone else would be deep fried to a crisp out here, but you look as fresh and sweet as a cool glass of lemonade. I stood up and smoothed out my dress as he stepped closer and brushed my neck with his warm lips, his hands lightly touching my waist as he did it. Damn, he smelled good. This is going to be harder than I thought. He held on to my waist just a bit longer than necessary as he whispered into my ear. But a damn sight sweeter to taste, he murmured, and my stomach fluttered, but I didn't let it show on my face. As if you've ever tasted lemonade, I said. I didn't say anything about tasting me. We both knew the answer to that one. Sure enough, you're right, darling. Folks like us don't get them kind of luxuries. Too far from the motherland. No taste of lemonade for us. I'd had lemonade as a child, but I didn't see the need to correct him. He was wearing the same dark suit I'd first seen him in, his favorite. He liked wearing that suit next to me when we went out, he said. He liked the look of my nearly black skin and vacuum black mane of hair, delicate build and frame, next to his pale hugeness in the dark suit. The contrast appealed to him, probably to me too, and I was being honest. Part of his appeal. I'd remembered that when choosing the dress this morning. Sentimental of me. He had a dark, wide-brimmed hat, too, with the match and pearl stripe set on top of his pale yellow mane of hair to hide the fact that it was thinning on top. But I know what was up top, and what was down below, too. I've found out a lot of things about Freeman in the past few weeks. I knew how he smelled for and after the shower. The dark coffee smell of the nylon trees from his mill, and the deeper, richer smoke smell of his Maycog tobacco. And how he smelled after. Salty sweet, then just sweet. I knew how sensitive the small of his back was. I knew he owned most of the money in Dusty River, but that it didn't seem to abuse it. He treated his various workers with fairness and decency, but had a reputation well-earned as a man not to cross. If Scooter had heard half the stories I'd heard about Freeman's past, he wouldn't have drawn that gun unless he meant to shoot. I knew that Freeman liked orange tea, heavily sweetened. I knew that late at night, when he thought I was asleep, he'd sing to me in a toneless, hushed baritone. They sounded like children's songs. Then he'd touch my cheek with a feather-light gesture that wafted Maycog and was gone. I knew he loved me. I didn't want to think about how I felt about that. <sighs> Best get to it. Is this a business arrangement, Freeman, or personal? I said, still looking at the naked son. He laughed immediately. A what, honey? Us. You. Me. I tend to keep these things separate, at least in my mind. I stood up and went over to the balcony rail, looking at the rest of town. Not much. A few bars, some random stores, and then the pink desert passed that, ready to claim the settlement when it stumbled and fell. Business? Darling, I don't follow. 
Suddenly his face and voice went tight. Should I expect a bill, darling? It depends, I said, still not looking at him. I wasn't thinking about you as a client, but that could be my mistake. We didn't actually talk about it directly, so I wanted to hear it from you. You're not making any damn sense. He was sounding angry now. If you wanted flowers or some damn thing, you have a funny way of asking for them. Sure as hell I'm no damn customer. He didn't know it, but he just lost something. The Knotwalkers had a brutal code, but they honored its tenets ruthlessly. If he's my customer, he'd have been protected by Knotwalker hospitality. Guests had a near immunity to Knotwalker laws. Being part Knotwalker, it would have bound me, too. I didn't realize until I felt the sickening whirl in my stomach, but I'd lost something, too. I kept my face blank as I turned round. Now I want to hear about Dina. Who? Maybe you didn't know her name. She used to work up on the Nightwalker frigate orbiting overhead, an escort like me, before she died. The Nightwalkers called it an accident. When you specialize in the rough stuff, these things happen. Kate, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, Freeman said slowly. This morning, during the checking of weapons, scented bath, and the long buttoning process of the fancy dress, I was worried that he might know enough about the Nightwalker Code, or enough about me, to make this difficult. If he'd pleaded with me or told me he hadn't done it, that would have been even more difficult, even if I knew he's lying. I should have known he thought too much of himself and too little of me. Why bother lying? Still, I was grateful. It'd be easier for me this way. I wouldn't have to think too much until it was done. I was fully awake now from the sun, lightning quick and ready. He'd never noticed my more than normal need for the sun or how rarely I needed to eat. He didn't notice a subtle change in texture on my skin. Apparently, Freeman didn't notice a lot of things. He should have been asking himself how in the world I could have possibly found out about Dina's murder. The Nightwalkers didn't normally share information with outsiders. What happened in Nightwalker territory stayed in Nightwalker territory. Freeman should have been able to avail himself of any of the indentured pleasure slaves there to any degree, without a getting back to any other human ears. Still, family's good for something. It's not that she's a close friend or anything, I said. It's just that a certain kind of recklessness in a customer isn't just bad for business. It's bad for everyone. A customer that did that and didn't even regret it. I trailed off, trying to put it all into words. We're not even people to someone like that. I finished finally. Just whores. You're not even talking about a person, Freeman said. You're talking about a grown hybrid, a freaking plant, grown in a vat to do just what she did every night. The night walkers don't care. Why should you? You'll be campaigning for the damn trisand swamp plants next. There's a way out, Freeman. I believe you to be a man of your word. Swear to me you'll never visit another Nightwalker ship, and maybe we can both walk away from this. But I have to know it won't happen again. If we start there, maybe we can talk about who is and who isn't human. Fuck this. Freeman got up and adjusted his hat. If you're not in the mood for any fun, Kate, I'll come back later. Or maybe I won't. He turned to go back inside. I can't let you, I said as if he hadn't spoken. I can't let you just walk away. Well, 
he said. I've faced raging Tiberian cougars in the flush of winter and fought off a Nightwalker strike action and jumped into a reentry land assault in the dead of space. I'll be damned if I'm going to back down to a slutty little piece just because I'm tapping her sweet ass. He drew across smooth and fast. I don't know if he really meant to fire. I didn't have the luxury to wait and see. Probably he didn't think me a threat and just wanted to scare me, to show me again how quick and deadly he was. I never found out. I was weaker during the night, just as fragile as any human, but I was much, much stronger than I looked. I could have shot him, too. I had two guns very well hidden, but I was faster than he was. A lot. I was light and lightning all in one quick burst. Before his neurons had fired, I was most of the way across the balcony. Before he got his hand on the gun, I was out of the line of fire. The open V between my thumb and fingers is ridged, nearly bony, and I crushed his windpipe as his gun left the holster. I knocked the gun away just after it cleared, before it could line up, and the metal and fabric were shattered in fragments off the side of the building. I gripped his neck and hurled him bodily off the balcony. He flew nearly 18 yards and landed in the dirt in front of the saloon, raising a pink dust cloud. I looked down at the balcony floor, realizing I'd dug deep into the slate. I'd left a pattern of rough cracks in the slate, roughly the shape of my footprints. I'd needed to grip the stone with the ridges in my toes for leverage. Couldn't have done it in shoes. I might be strong, but the laws of physics are immutable. Freeman lay close to Saul in the street and choked to death in the dust and swirl of cinnamon while I watched. Pink flecks of sand covered his beautiful dark clothes. Eventually, they covered his face and open eyes, too. My eyes were wet, but if it was for Freeman or Dina or myself, I wasn't sure. The scavengers were even faster with him, what with those expensive clothes and fancy gun rig. There were two more bodies in the street next to Saul and Freeman before that possession was settled. The clothes, money, gun, and other possessions went fast, but I didn't stick round a clock how long it took the local government to dispatch someone for cleanup. News went even faster, and I knew I'd have to pack soon. I was looked down upon, even out here, but I liked my profession. It suited me, and I was good at it. Very good. And Dusty River was the right kind of town for me to work in. I'd have a hard time finding one that suited me as well. Still, customers tended to avoid whores that can crush bones, no matter how smooth your approach. Business was gone. Freeman was gone. Soon the Nightwalker ship would be leaving for other trade areas. Nothing would be left here for me. Freeman's body was still lying in the pink dust, nearly naked, when I left the hotel. You can tell a lot about what kind of town you're in by how they treat a corpse in the street. And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. I recognize that westerns in space don't really make a lot of sense. The universe of Firefly doesn't make a lot of sense. I've seen complicated attempts to explain the economy of that show, and it just doesn't fly. To me, that doesn't really matter, because the stories kick ass. Westerns work for storytelling because of the sense of lawlessness, because it's easy to believe, true or not, that all conflict resolution in the Wild West ended with someone getting shot down in the street. That's a great way to wrap up a plot, a not-so-great way to live. I think science fiction falls back a lot on these older genre templates because, as much as technology opens up new story ideas, it doesn't really tell us how to shape our stories. It doesn't tell us how conflict should resolve. So we have to go back to older stories for that, patterns that we know appeal to the human psyche. 
The Wild West is one mythology that can tell us how our stories should end. That and the really cool outfits. We need to race through some feedback this week. We're way behind. Escape Pod 158, Who's Afraid of Wolf 359, was the last of our Hugo nominees. It was Ken McLeod's space opera tale about a roguish adventurer sentenced to find out the truth about a lost colony, ending with a big finish. This one mostly went over well. Void Munashi said it reminded him a lot of Harry Harrison's Stainless Steel Rats series. Other people said Foundation, or Dune, or Heinlein. Joe Fitz said he didn't like it because it reminded him of Heinlein and Asimov's Foundation series, and it just didn't hold a candle to the classics. A lot of people said they loved the beginning, but reactions to the ending ranged from rushed to confusing to one freaking awesome. Thank you, Twangcat. We had some interesting technical speculation on the long tubes idea, or the notion that a planetary culture could develop into galactic conquerors so quickly. But the only universal criticism was my pronunciation of Edinburgh. I did indeed screw it up. It is not pronounced Edinburgh. My apologies to all Scots listening, and the next round of the Macallan is on me. Finally, on a side note, I'd like to thank Justin Lowmaster and his wife for the very cool Geek Dad t-shirt. She designed it, he sent it to me, and it fits really well, in more than one sense. If you want your own Geek Dad or Geek Mom t-shirt, I'll post the link to her Zazzle shop. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license. What happens at escapepod.org needn't stay at escapepod.org. Just don't sell or change what happens. If you like this week's story, we hope you'll tell a friend or blog about it. And if you really like us and would like to help us support our authors, I hope you'll consider leaving a donation via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our fantasy podcast at podcastle.org and our horror podcast at pseudopod.org. This week's narrator, Minx, also read a story for Pseudopod just a couple weeks back. The Sloan Men. It's one of the creepiest pieces I've heard there in a long time. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation is from Captain Malcolm Reynolds. He once said, Everybody dies. Somebody's carrying a bullet for you right now, doesn't even know it. The trick is, die of old age before it finds you. We'll see you next week. Until then, have fun. <laughs>